Hey, welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is October 31, 2021, and it is Halloween night tonight. And so it is fitting that we conclude our series called The Flourishing Life with a series called How to Help Your Church Flourish. God bless you as you listen. Well, today is a weird day for us Christians, uh, kind of because we don't know what to do with Halloween. Uh, but we do like the candy, don't we? In fact, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, Halloween seems to be losing steam over the decade here, and um, we don't have nearly the same amount of kids coming to our door. Have you been experiencing that over the decade or so? Yeah? Um, We don't have nearly the amount of kids, but you know what that means? It means more candy for me, yeah. (laughs) And so when I go shopping for Halloween candy, I always make sure that I get a nice big box, and it's full of chocolate. Yeah. No suckers. Uh, no chips, uh, no, you see the, the new fruit, uh, or not fruit, veggie, I don't know what they are, sticks of some sort now, like come on, kids are really going to want that over candy, but anyway, I go for the chocolate, and uh, so hopefully there aren't that many kids at my door. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about Halloween today so much, we're going to talk about the unseen realm that we Christians are embedded in, and uh, one that is somewhat that Christians are somewhat oblivious to. Uh, we're going to conclude our series called A Flourishing Life by looking what it takes to, for the church to flourish. Because if you remember our life network, one of the circles in our life network is the church. One of the relationships you have in your life, one of the activities that you participate in is in the life of the church. Now, when we talk church, in our sort of current vocabulary, uh, that word can describe the place where Christians gather. But in the New Testament, 99% of the time, the church is the people of God. It is not a building. Friends, we are the church. And we meet at 159 Pine House Drive or online at your location. We are the people of God, the church. And that's an important distinction for us in our discussion for today because the unseen realm is filled with beings that aren't interested in this building. But they are interested in us. They're interested in you. They have a calculated plan to stop the church. And if you're part of the church, his plan is to also stop you. That means that you and I are in a spiritual war. Now, there are some hot topics in the Christian church today, uh, things that we get all excited about. One of them is end times timelines, and the other one is spiritual warfare, and oftentimes the two kind of overlap in some ways. But as compelling as those topics are, they are not the most important thing that you and I can learn in church, is it? The most important, most transformational idea that we can learn in church is declared in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, God is love. That is the most important theme that the church can wrestle with and own. And we've been journeying through that chapter 4 and jumping off from into other portions of the scriptures to reinforce this declaration. So turn with me to John, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look first at verse 16 to 19 and then jump off into a number of other passages to deal with our topic for today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 to 19. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God 
in them. This is how love is made complete, notice this, among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Let's stop to pray first. Father, thank you for your word again. This is a most precious, precious book to us. We, your people, depend on this word. And we depend on it changing us and transforming us and informing us about the world that we live in. And so, Lord, as we go into your word today, allow it to guide our discussion. Allow it to so pique our curiosity that, Lord, we would get into your word even more this week to find out more about this world that we live in and how it is that you are God most high over it all. We bless you, we thank you for this word, and we invite you to move in and amongst our spirits today by your spirit to cause the kind of transformation that is needed for the kind of task and duty that is upon us for this day. We bless you and look forward to your word in our hearts. Amen. Over the past month, we've dug into this passage and the implications of God being in us and us being in God. Let me review briefly in case there's some here who haven't seen this yet. Normally, when we think of life, we think of it this way. I think of me. You think of you. And then there are all the different spheres of relationship and activity that make up our life network. This is my life network. It's like yours. Now, before you and I repented and switched kingdoms, if you wanted God's help somewhere in your life, You attempted to get God's attention. You tried to get him who is on the outside of your life looking in to pay attention to the needs that you have. Sometimes, depending on the need, you tried maybe begging God. Maybe sometimes you tried bribing him with good behavior, better behavior, and maybe even church attendance. Now, when you became a Christian, your life changed. Because you, because of how you became related to God, that changed. First John chapter four, verses one, uh, verse sixteen says, "God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them." No longer is God on the outside looking in. We spent a lot of time over the last number of weeks looking at this. No longer is God on the outside looking in because by the Spirit of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come into the center of it all with you, with me. It's now God in me, amen? And he causes things to change, big things. And one of the things it changed is that God in you connected you to every other believer on the planet. You became part of the church by the indwelling presence of God. The same Holy Spirit that unites me to God unites me to you and you to me and us to every other believer who has ever committed themselves to Jesus and ever will. What a fantastic thought. So turn to the person next to you and say, see, you can't get rid of me that easy. (laughs) I think you're one slide behind. There you go. There it is. That's us connected to one another, to each other. Together as the church. 
we now share life with the God of the universe because God is in us personally and collectively. And our potential to reach the entire world with the love of God becomes exponential because of this new dynamic that you and I live under. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And and look at the effects that it produces. Don't worry, I'll get to the spiritual warfare part in a minute. But verse 17 of 1 John 4 says, This is how love is made complete among us. So that, say so that. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. I love that phrase. In this world, we are like Jesus. Church, judgment day is coming. But the love of the indwelling God gives us confidence that we are guarded from condemnation on that day. Amen? That's that hallelujah that we sang about just before. But the text also tells us that in this world, we are like Jesus. So think of the impact of that likeness on the people in your life network. Like Jesus, we are to be love incarnate to the people in our life network. As the Father sent Jesus into the world to testify to the love of the Father, so too we get the privilege of testifying to the love of the Father in our life network and about salvation in the name of Jesus. However, as I said earlier, we have a very real enemy who hates the church and is organized and invested against us in stopping us from making Jesus known. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 to 11 says this, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Well, if you jump forward to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13 It broadens the powers that are in that realm. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is a passage that's familiar to any of us who are hoping to do battle against the enemy. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's a spiritual battle, right? but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, you, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now perhaps, you only thought that you had a devil and some demons to contend with. But this sounds... Like these beings in the heavenly realms are much more organized and strategic than that simple devil and angel on the shoulder that, remember, we used to see in the, in the cartoons of long ago, right? Wrestling over who was going to win over the mind and the heart of that little person in between, that man in between. And they, and they are more strategic. They, they are more organized. This is spiritual warfare, friends. So let me give you a summary of the Bible's perspective of, of the unseen realm to see what we're really up against. In Jewish thought, the universe consisted of the heavenly realms, the earth, and the underworld, or the waters below, and in which is Sheol, the abode of the dead. And we know that humans are in the earth, 
And we've come to believe that the devil and his demons are in the underworld and, and God is in heaven and the, and the angel, with the angels. This is sort of right. Turn with me to Psalm 89, if you would. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Love to hear the pages flipping. Does a pastor's heart good. Psalm 89, verses 5 to 8. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as who is mighty as you are o lord with your faithfulness all around you in the heavenly realms there is a class of created beings in god's heavenly court god has a heavenly court they're called the assembly of the holy ones they're called the heavenly beings the council of the holy ones the hosts of god these are not angels These are all descriptors of what Psalm 82 informs us is a special class of created beings that surround the throne of God to help God to administer the affairs of the cosmos. Psalm 82 verse 1 says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Did God need a divine council? No. Just like he didn't need humanity. But he created us anyway. We're told that he chose to create them in order to help them with his, with his rule. Yahweh stands alone as God most high, but according to scripture, he does not work alone. And notice the psalmist who, who calls them gods. He says, in the midst of the gods, he, that is Yahweh, holds judgment. Yes, there are other divine beings called gods in the cosmos of the ancient Hebrew mind. Bible. Exodus 20 goes to reinforce that. Let's flip to Exodus 40. We're going to do a bunch of jumping around here. Exodus 20, verses 3 to 4. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments, right? God says to Israel, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image, notice this, in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath Or in the waters below. He's encompassing the entire Old Testament cosmology. Did you notice that God also says here that there are other spiritual beings in these spaces? Heaven, earth, and under the earth. And again, he calls them gods. There are other Elohim. That's the Hebrew word for gods here. But Yahweh is Elohim, capital E. And the other Elohim are small e. So there is never any competition. God is always God most high. He is Yahweh. And they are little gods. Lesser. Friends, the Bible never denies the existence of other gods. But they're always lesser and subject to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Now, I know that this might challenge some of your modern cosmology, but I want you to know that most of what we know about the unseen realm in church has been formed by our modern English translations, 
spiritual warfare speakers and books that you may have read, and even pop culture influences like books and novels and movies that have all been influenced by things like uh, Milton's version of heaven and hell in a book called Paradise Lost. But this is the world of the Bible, the ancient Near Eastern world. This is Hebrew cosmology. And if you and I are going to understand this spiritual war that we're in, we have to understand what the Bible really says about it and not believe Hollywood. Because there's way more involved in spiritual warfare in this battle than just a battle between good and evil. And even more than just between God and the devil. Let me continue. At some point, though we don't know when, the Bible tells us that there were members of this divine council that rejected Yahweh's lordship and God expelled them from the council. Now, one of those rebellions that you might know about is the, the fall. In first, the first rebellion is from Genesis 3, where we see the fall of Satan and the fall of humanity. Second one is the rebellion. The second rebellion is from Genesis 6, verses 1 to 4, where we read about the sons of God. That, that is some of the divine council that rebelled. When the sons of God, it says, went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, that is the Nephilim, they were the heroes of old, the men of renown. The third rebellion is found in the, in the account of the Tower of Babel. Let's go there. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. I don't hear the pages turning. Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 to 9. Now this is reflecting back on the Babel incident. Verse 7 says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your fathers and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted in his allotted heritage. Now, many modern translations insert the, the, the phrase there, sons of Israel, instead of the sons of God. Now, that's, there's a note in your Bibles that will point you to other manuscripts and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which say sons of God. Current scholarship says sons of God is the translation. Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 to 9, and Psalm 82 describe how Yahweh divided up the nations and gave them over to the rule of the sons of God, or these fallen members of the divine council, while God himself claimed another people, right? Israel. And these superpowers that the and these are the superpowers that the Apostle Paul lists in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Remember it? He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's very spiritual but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And somewhere among them, leading them, we we believe, is the devil, the Satan that tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew 4, verses 8 to 9 says, says the devil took him, that is Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. All of this points back to the rebellion at Babel. Ephesians 2, verse 2 to 3, Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. These evil principalities and powers rule all the nations of the earth, including Canada and the United States. Folks, Canada and the U.S. are not the apple of God's eye. We're not. We're we're not even a Christian nation anymore. We're a post-Christian nation. And we are under the rule of these evil forces. I'll tell you this. I tell you all of this, not so that you'll be afraid, but so that you'll be prepared. So that you aren't surprised by the level of cruelty and wickedness you see in the people of this world. To help you understand that we're not going to overcome them with better politicians and better community services. These things can only be championed by the church. In fact, this wickedness and this cruelty that you see in the world, you may even see in the people that you know and love, the people in your life network. But also I tell you this so that spiritual warfare, you realize that spiritual warfare is even more involved than you probably ever realized. Friends, these principalities and powers are intent on one thing and one thing only. Slowing the spread of the gospel of Jesus in the kingdom of God. Why? Because slowing the spread of the gospel gives them more time to rule before judgment day comes. That's what this is all about. It's slowing the spread of the gospel because they want more time on this earth to rule. They know their time of ruling the nations is limited. They know that the church is getting close to completing the task of evangelizing the world. And when that happens, they know they're done. They know they're done. Positionally, already they're done in Jesus' name. But their time is now limited to fulfill that. And so they're aggressively trying to stop the church from flourishing and bearing fruit. They're they're strategic in causing you not to flourish or bear fruit. And you might feel that in your life. They're ferocious about shrinking the numbers of those who are loyal to Jesus and his great commission. And if you haven't noticed, they're doing a good job of that here in North America and Europe, where thousands of churches are closing every year. How often does a church baptize new converts to Christ? The church typically baptizes people who finally wake up after being a Christian for 10 or 20 years and think, oh, I better get baptized. How often does a church baptize new converts to Christ? How often does it plant new churches in the West? How often do you share the gospel with someone? So how does the church do spiritual warfare against the spiritual forces of evil? Well, first and foremost, you have to realize that these powers are disarmed. Colossians 2 verse 13 tells us, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus is our way out from the rule, from under the rule of these evil superpowers. So turn to Colossians chapter 1. Let's read that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 20. God Most High has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. You hear this phrase going through the Scriptures? All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, there are times when power encounters against the forces of evil are necessary. I've been in some of those circumstances. When, like Jesus, was confronted by demon-possessed people, he took authority over them and they they were released from their bondage and the demons fled. But most of the time, spiritual warfare involves you sharing the gospel of the cross. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, the regional authority of these evil beings is still in place for those who will not bend the knee to Jesus. But their power has been nullified for the believer. By the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the one and only true Son of God. Amen? They can't do anything. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And it's this new kingdom authority of the true Son of God that enforces the great commission of Jesus to reclaim, to call the, and reclaim the nations that were given over to those fallen divine beings. Jesus commanded, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's that phrase going again. Therefore, go and make disciples throughout the world of all nations. It's the reclaiming of the nations. That's the plan of God. And when that happens, the kingdom of darkness will lose. And what is essentially a spiritual war of numbers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. There it says, When God Most High rescues those caught in the dominion of darkness, He will bring them into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As the church flourishes and sees more and more people cross over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the church. And this is spiritual warfare. 1 John 4, verse 16 to 19 brings us back to this. God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. That we have confidence on the day of judgment. This or In this world, we are like Jesus. See, it's all about God creating a new council, new, a new humanity, new sons of God who will be like his one and only son, Jesus, in this world, loving people into the kingdom of God. And if we live like him, we have nothing to be afraid of. Again, no weapon that's fashioned against us will prosper. Friends, this spiritual war is aimed at us being unfruitful. 
but it's also aimed at the people in your life network to keep them from hearing about Jesus. And the longer that they can do that, these evil forces, the more time they have left before Judgment Day. Your family and friends and co-workers only have this life. The principalities and powers have eternity unless we stop them by getting serious about the war that we're in. And as the Father sent Jesus into the world to testify to the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us that he also sends us. He commissions us to testify about the kingdom of God throughout our life network, and he makes that our mission field. We are to make disciples there until every nation on the planet is one for the glory of God. That's why it's important for you to flourish in your new identity in Christ as one who is in God and who has God in you so that you can be like Jesus in the world. That's why it's so important for you to live out this new identity in your life network so that the kingdom of God can flourish and grow and press out the kingdom of darkness at every corner of your life network. Friends, it's time for the church to unite around getting uh, the, the Great Commission finished. We're so close. The gospel to the ends of the earth, to every nation. To equip, to getting equipped to use our gifts, our spiritual gifts in love. Learning how to share our faith in love. And discipling those who cross over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So here's what you can do to start. Start your spiritual warfare by going to our website and learn how to share your testimony. Go to the the website right on the front page, right at the very bottom. There's a link there that you can click to learn how to get equipped to share your testimony. We call it our 15-second testimony. Then get into your Bible. Get into your Bible because this is our book. This is our spiritual warfare manual. And and it is the way in which you can clarify and secure your new identity in Christ. And you can join one of the many Bible studies that we have here at the church. Then, begin praying through your life network. Draw it out on a notepad. Put one sphere on each page. And then write out the people and the activities within each of those spheres. Like family. Friends, work, church, world, hobbies. And begin praying for opportunities to share the love of God there with them. Then, you might also want to join a few of our intercessors on Sundays at 10 a.m. before the service begins and begin praying throughout our church building for the people of God that come here. For kids' zone, for youth. Pray for our worship. Pray for our obedience. Pray for our part in the kingdom of God and for the advance of the gospel through the members of our fellowship. Pray that God fills this place with new believers who will bring him great praise on Sundays and all throughout their lives. Folks, we have to begin somewhere because the battle is large. But the battle belongs to who? The Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how all of Scripture draws us together with one theme, the reclaiming of the nations for the glory of God. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to work our way through your word throughout today and this week and the weeks ahead, 
that you would give us, Lord, a profound sense of your grandeur and your greatness, that we would fear nothing. We would not fear judgment day. For what do we need to fear? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so, Lord, we just pray that you would utilize us as we venture into our life networks to be liberal and to be flourishing in the love of God. That, Lord, we would be able to, at every point, see people's needs. Allow, we want to allow your Holy Spirit freedom to move in our hearts and in our minds to say, go to that one person, go to this group, and share the love of Christ with them. And Lord, may we obediently do that because we are in this war together. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Multiply its effect in our hearts so we will honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.